Welcome to this podcast by Global Church. We are a church planting movement wanting to reach cities from here to everywhere, one to everyone. If you want to find out more information, check out our website on www.globalchurch.co.uk. So often we can look and maybe make assumptions, make guesses, but when I look at my life, I don't think, oh, well done, Andy, you've made it or you've done some good things. Honestly, I look at the church and I look at Dave and Shell and say, thank you. Because if it wasn't for the church, well, first off, I wouldn't have met Anna, and that's a pretty big deal. And, uh, you know, if I have to kind of reel the things off, I wouldn't have a relationship where I can enjoy it, where we're real and we're open, we're honest. The only reason I've got those things is because Dave and Shelley practically reveal everything <laughs> that's going on in their world. When I look about and think about my business, I don't think, oh, well done, you know, you've, you've really coined a great idea, you've, you've really established something great. I think, no, thank God, thank God for Dave and Shelley in the church who talked about things like money, prosperity, business, pioneering, entrepreneurship. Anna and I did not have a dream of starting a business. There was no inkling or interest in it until I came to the church. When it came about having finances that were kind of stable rather than flipping like yo-yos, which sometimes they still are, I won't lie. But, you know, the church has done so much. When I look at my life, I'm indebted to the church and to Dave and Shell. You know, I can't, I can't take the credit and I don't take the credit. I think this is phenomenal what we've got. This is incredible, and you might not realize it just yet at this moment, but I want to talk to us today and share a few things that might help us in that. You know, we've had some great weeks, uh, you know, with Dave bringing a series about mental health, Tom carrying on about peace and grace, and I want to kind of, it can seem a little bit like a tangent, but it, it kind of follows a little bit in the vein, talking about vision and talking about a guy in the Bible called Nehemiah. And the reason I want to talk about vision is because when we have a vision, it often pulls us through situations or even pulls us out of situations, pushes us through things that maybe we don't enjoy, we're not, we're not comfortable with at the moment. You know, God didn't just create us to be well in our minds or have mental health. He actually created us to have mental wealth, like an abundance of, of strength and capacity and resilience in our minds. So it's not just that makes us super, but actually we can be a blessing to others. We can be a strength and a support to people around us. That's what Jesus was. He was the most emotionally wealthy, mentally wealthy man who's ever lived. And because of that, he was able to give and pass on strength to others, freedom, releasing people from bondage and shame and guilt. But he was able to do it with grace and truth. He was awesome. You know, and so really this, this vision, you know, the Bible in the old King James Version says, uh, without vision, the people perish. You know, the, the, the poorest man, they say, is the man without a dream or a vision. The poorest person in the world is a man or woman without a dream or a vision. You know, when it comes to vision, I often think like, we, we, we've all had it, you know. Maybe you've had a vision to go for a promotion and you've thought, gosh, just that extra bit of money would really help with the financial situation. Maybe it's been a vision to, to relocate, you know, because you think then I won't have a bigger commute. Maybe it's been a vision for that girl or that boy. You know, when I, when I first met Anna in the church, honestly, she was the vision of a relationship. I was like, man, I, I, I don't know much about her, but she looks incredible. I don't know if she's in the room. <laughs> but, and I was blown away. And, you know, this, this, it kind of caught my attention, right? And it kind of started to, like, affect my thinking to the point where I'd do things like I would buy her gifts. Like, I would surprise her with gifts when we started to kind of move towards dating. I'd even, like, pay for coffee and a meal out if we ever went. I didn't do this for other people. I remember the time I was, uh, I, was in the, I was in the pub with some football mates, and I got a call. It was Anna. 
And I was, and I was like, hey, how's it going? And she's like, you know what? My bike's broke. Can you come help me fix it? And she was stuck in the middle of town having finished a shift uh, doing some uh, nursing work and stuff. I was like, absolutely. Put the phone down and said, lads, there's a damsel in distress and I am that nine shining armor. <laughs> there I am on my bike, <laughs> cycling along, you know. I didn't have a car. I, didn't, I wasn't loaded or anything like that. But I went over. I mean, her chain had fallen off. I mean, I practically was, you know, the savior. But it took about 30 seconds to put it back on. DIY is my middle name, which leads me on, actually. Um, you know, she also called me up because she had a, a light bulb that was broken in her flat where she was staying. I was like, don't worry. I will come. I will sort this out. I think that's pretty much the extent of my DIY skills, if I'm honest. But when we do things, I mean, I did things that were not kind of normal. I mean, this is that you've got to keep this to yourself. This is in the room, all right? It doesn't go anywhere else, okay? You've got to promise me this. But the thing, one thing I also did was I created a mix CD. I know it's not a mixtape, right? A mixtape's a bit of a different generation, but a CD was the thing, right? I mean, I think these days it might be a Spotify playlist, which just really isn't that romantic. But anyway, I created this CD and I gave it to her. And I'm thinking like, this is unreal. This is unusual. No one told me to do all these things, by the way. No one said, and if you want to you know, see if this girl likes you, do A, B, C, D, E, and then it's going to be all right. No, there was a vision that captured my attention. It, it, it kind of, it gripped me. And it caused me to do things that I'd never normally or typically do. You know, vision can help us pull through the tough seasons of our life where things aren't going our way. I know some people are going through home renovations at the moment, and you know it ain't pretty. It ain't nice when there's, there's dirt, there's plast, there's mess, there's builders. I mean, you want the builders to work, but you just don't want them to stay for too long. And they keep coming and coming. You're thinking, oh, I hate this. I can't even enjoy a meal without dust or some sort of grit entering my food. Or you maybe can't cook because the kitchen's getting redone. You know, if you've gone through those projects, you know it's a vision that causes you to go through the pain of all that mess so you can have a finished kind of home at the other side. I remember when we first moved into the, the house we live in now, and it was, it was shambolic and everything needed redoing. Drainage, there was sewage coming out the back garden, there was lighting that was fusing the electrics and heating that broke down. But I remember that the thing that hit me the most, honestly, was the shower. Because I remember being in that shower and, and it was like a, a drip, if you could even call it, a trickle. I remember like trying to wipe it down my body thinking, come on, I've got to help gravity clean myself in this. And I remember thinking, I can't wait for the day when I have a shower that works. And that is just like full pressure. I don't care if it's like a fireman's hose above me. It would be awesome. Vision is great. You might have a vision of being free from debt. Maybe it's credit card debt. And here's the thing about vision. If you don't have a vision for something, like maybe getting out of credit card debt, chances are you, might, you probably won't get out. There's something about vision that's really important about how we move forward in life. Vision can help us build healthy habits in our thinking, our relationships, our finances. A vision is simply a better future that we can see in our mind. You know, where there is a dream, there is hope. And where there is hope, there is faith. We're hoping for something that we can start believing that it's going to come about. And where there is faith, there is the substance or fulfillment of what we're hoping for. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is confidence of what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I couldn't see Anna necessarily dating me, but I had hope that she would. And then that kind of grew into like faith and then it, it came about and it happened. I mean, I'm not saying you, you follow all my kind of steps, you know, but it worked for me. So, <laughs> you know, maybe this is you today. Maybe life doesn't have a sense of direction. Maybe activity doesn't have any meaning. Time doesn't really have a purpose. Your resources have no application. But it doesn't have to stay this way. You know, God made each, God made each and every one of us 
totally unique. I'm sure we've all heard that we've all got like, you know, a fingerprint that no one else in the world shares. You know, but there's something about rare things in the world. You know, there's like diamonds, they're rare, rubies, precious gems, minerals in the earth. Like we have to go to great lengths to kind of get them from under the ground, bring them up. You know, there's all sorts of wars and conflicts that go on based on these diamonds. There's a, they're, they're rare, therefore they're valuable. But when there's something that's one of a kind, the value just goes through the roof. And you know what? You're one of a kind. The Mona Lisa is one of a kind. Apparently, Wikipedia tells me it's worth 2.67 billion US dollars today, if someone was to sell it, the French government. <laughs> That's how valuable you are in God's mind. Because you're one of a kind. You're valuable. And that value, we don't fully appreciate or understand because we get so used to the, the culture of society that says you're worthless. You're not really that important. Celebrities might have something, or politicians, or leaders, but really, we're all valuable. We all have a part to play in God's mission and God's plan and his purpose on this earth. It's incredible. You know, your purpose has already been set. You know, the purpose is established before production. When you build a house, you, you get the plans together before you start building it. You, you start to purpose what it is I want to do, how many rooms, how many bathrooms, how tall, how many floors, and then you construct the building. It's the same with you and me. God purposed you before he created and formed you in your mother's womb. He purposed you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper, not to harm. Plans of a hope and a future. God didn't, you know, wait till you're born and think, Crikey, what do I do with Andy or Dave? Like, what do I do with these guys? I'm running out of ideas or destinies or purposes. No, he, he formed you already before you were a twinkling in your mother's eye or your father's eye. You know, vision. You know, you might... You know, this is the thing about vision. It's exciting. It draws us forward. It's alluring. It's something that moves us along our purpose and our destiny. And that vision is just a glimpse of the purpose that God has got for us. That's what the vision. I was purposed to be married, but the vision that caught my attention was Anna. And that was what really came to life. You know, I was probably, per you know, many of us are purposed to be mothers and fathers, but really it was the vision of thinking it's going to be the flesh of my flesh, that little beautiful baby. And, uh, and that's what caused us to go for it. The other side of it is when we then go for it, we realize, oh my goodness. <laughs> Anyone? You know, children, marriage, having a, a promotion, you then realize there's a lot more responsibility on me. And that's the, that's the beauty of it. God gives us visions, but he doesn't give us all the negative side of things because he wants the vision to draw us forward to make us and create and form in us something that, that, that he's got purposed. So I want to look at the story of Nehemiah. And just to get a bit of context before I dive in, you know, the Israelites were God's chosen people. They were, you know, they were the ones that God wanted to lift up and, and be a, a beacon to the rest of the nations. It wasn't just so that they could be blessed, it was so they could be a blessing to the other nations. And so, you know, as it went, as they were kind of some of the key people, Abraham, you know, began, you know, the Israelite nation. He was being called out to be the father of many nations. And then you've got people like Moses who brought the Egyptians out of slavery. And then you have people like Joshua who then conquered so many of the people who were occupying the promised land that God had said to Abraham many, many centuries before, this is going to be your land. And so, you know, the Israelites had gone through this period of just growing and growing and growing. They had these notable kings, these King David, who, who just conquered army after army, battle after battle, war after war, so that the Israelite nation could experience a time of peace and greater prosperity with people like King Solomon. The thing is, in this place of power, 
pride start to enter into their thinking. You know, and it's the same for you and I. We can sometimes get somewhere in life, and then before we know it, we, think, we start thinking, you know what, I think I was pretty instrumental in getting me here. Actually, I don't think I need God so much. Maybe it was just coincidence, or maybe it was just fluke that all these blessings, all these good things have come about. And the Israelites start to lose their way. They start to stop doing things God's word, God's way. And because of that, God's judgment started to come upon the nation. It's scary because God used other nations, other unbelieving nations, to defeat and to destroy so much of Israel because he had tried so many things, sending prophets, people to speak God's word, trying to turn the people back to God's word and God's ways and into repentance. But they weren't having any of it. Pride had really destroyed the interior of their hearts. So anyway, at this moment in time, Israel had been pretty much demolished. There was a remnant left behind. The Babylonians who had conquered and God had used to defeat them had taken away the elite of the Israelite population, the people that could help in their own administration, um, so, you know, utilizing the best of the best. And Nehemiah was one of those. And it says this in Nehemiah 1. I'm going to read the first two chapters and we'll, we'll kind of take a few stops on the way. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Han and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. You know, Jerusalem was the capital of Judah. And in Jerusalem, it was named the city of David. David had conquered it and that's where his residence was. That's where the temple was. This was like... The, the, the place of the influential. It was the beacon above, above all the other parts of Israel. It was significant. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. That's God's word, God's way. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We've not obeyed the commands, decrees and the laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations it come true. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if you're exiled people at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They're your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Who's this man? He goes and say, I was the cupbearer to the king. He wasn't just any man, he was the king. And it was actually the Persians had taken over the Babylonians, but Nehemiah was in his presence. You know, he had a burden when he heard the story about his home, the, the, the kind of the nation that he was a part of, the Jewish people, that was, it was in disgrace. That burden birthed a vision in him. He was thinking, this is not good enough. We're God's chosen people, and here we are now spread across the nations from horizon to horizon. 
We're not, we've fallen away. He was reminded about what Moses had said, that, you know, if, if, if you don't follow my word, I'll scatter you amongst the nations. But if you return to me, then I will bring my people back to the place where, my, where, where I dwell. You know, that vision was so powerful. It, it was greater than the luxury he was living in. I mean, he was the cupbearer to the king. He basically, you know, tasting the wine. Mmm, that's a, a note of rhubarb, I think. Or, you know, he, he was able to just drink fine food, fine wine, probably living in nice accommodation. People would be envious of him, the position that he held, especially the, the, the locals. The Jews would have had him as a esteemed position. And here he is thinking, I'm not happy. There's something wrong. There's something not right that my, my city, my, the nation of God, is in ruins, and here I am. You know, he was called to restore something that was broken down, the city of Jerusalem. You know, we are all called to restore broken things. Jesus did it with his sacrifice on the cross. He restored the broken relationship between us and our Father. And the same way we can restore things today, it might be restoring a broken political system. It might be restoring a corrupt, you know, business environment. It might be restoring faith in Jesus, in God Almighty. It might be restoring communities where we live, you know, where people have written them off. Restoring faith in areas, on demographics, where people say nothing good comes out of there. We are called to restore things, to renew things back to their original purpose. It's awesome. We've got the backing of God behind us to restore things back to his purpose. It goes on in chapter 2, it says, Our taxi sends Nehemiah to Jerusalem. He's the king. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxes, when the wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. I mean, that says something, doesn't it? You know, he's, he, he's good. He's got, a, he's got a handle on his emotions. He's got a handle on his attitude. He's not been sad in his presence. Even though he's a slave to this nation, a foreigner to the nation and the government and the customs, he had not been sad in his presence before. That's something for us to go when we're going into our jobs and with our bosses and our careers thinking, I don't need to be sad. I, need, I, I can be good news to the people that I'm serving. So the king asked him, because it was unusual for him to be sad. So when he was, the king said, why does your face look sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said, you know, when we're doing something significant, fear will be at our door. He was very much afraid, but he said, he said, I said, that's courage. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's, it's having fear right there beside you and doing what's right. You know, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Such an important question. What is it that you want? I wonder if he had already, I'm sure, well, we know that he'd already thought through what he wanted, but I wonder what it is that you want today in life. Jesus asked people who are blind with sight, what is it that they want? It seems obvious. And maybe right now you think, well, it's obvious what I want. Well, I wonder if it really is. You know, when we mature as Christians, God, I think more and more asks us, what is it that you want? Because he's almost like saying, come on, I've given you everything. You've got my Holy Spirit. You've got the mind of Christ. You've got my power living within you. What is it? You've got the Bible, my word and my ways painted. 85% of what you need to do in life is set. <laughs> love your Lord God with all your heart, soul and strength. Love your neighbor with all your mind and, and as, as, as you love yourself. Like it's, it's already there in, pray, uh, in plain language. But as we mature, he asks us, what do we want? Too many Christians are waiting for God to tell them 
I'm waiting for direction. I'm waiting for, you know, God for revival. I'm waiting for God to move. I'm waiting for God to tell me where to go next. And I think, let, let, let's, let's be proactive. What do you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. I love this. Just, he's in the moment and he prays. Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. You know, there was like, it, you can't even say it under your breath, but you say it in your mind. Oh, Jesus, please help me. <laughs> Holy Spirit, fill me right now. <laughs> when I'm about to ask Anna out, out, that was one of those moments. I mean, it makes nothing, but I was freaking out. <laughs> and it's like it for us. In our situations, there'll be times where maybe we go to our boss asking for something and we can say that prayer. Come on, God, be with me. And I answered the king. If it pleases the king and your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take? And when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me. And so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they'll provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I also have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he'll give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I'll occupy. Excuse me. He had a plan, he had a time scale, he had a set of resources and requests and permissions that he knew he would need. He was thought out. And he goes on to say, and because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. It's, it's fascinating, really, because you think <laughs> he's now allowing someone to go back and with the resources of their kingdom, rebuild an old kingdom that, that, that's now long gone. It's powerful. You know, as believers, God's gracious hand is on each and every one of us if we want it. If we want it. If we're following God's word, God's way. God's blessing is on our life. Ephesians says, you are blessed. And so when God's gracious hand is on us, the impossible things become possible. It would seem so impossible for a cupbearer. It wasn't like he was prime minister, he was a cupbearer. To request resources to rebuild a temple of a God that they didn't believe in, a city that they had to, de well, they demolished and defeated years previous. It, it, it just goes, it's amazing. It blows my mind. My first point, if we can get a few points uh, to you, it's this. A true vision from God is by definition unselfish. Its purpose is to bring about God's kingdom on earth and turn people to him. Nehemiah did not have a vision for himself. He had a vision from God. He was living in palatial luxury where he was, eating the fine wine, the drink, the food, like I said. But, and it's the same for us. You know, the vision that God gives us is to plant churches. This is his vehicle for like salvaging the whole world. Nehemiah's vehicle at that time was the city of Jerusalem. Those walls represented huge things in that day and age. The temple was significant. Jerusalem was the place where God had said, I will... I will, I will dwell here in this temple. You know, we now have a dwelling on, each, in, on the inside of each and every one of us. The church carries that corporate dwelling of God's holy power, his spirit, all the time. And so we're called to go and plant churches. It's one of the most unselfish things we can do because the church exists primarily for those that don't come to church. It's secondary exists for those who come to church, but it's in that order. And it's not that we don't care about people once they're in, but we can find things, we can get used to things as we're on the journey together. But it's the people outside who currently have no life jacket. They've got no hope without someone going out to tell them the good news about what Jesus has done at the cross. You know, 
God's vision was greater than Nehemiah's comfort. And a vision from God will stretch us and take us out of our comfort zones. You know, when we plant churches, when we, when we, our comfort will, dis- will be disrupted. You know, when, whether it's just submitting to a leader, you know that's painful sometimes when you think you're better than them. It's funny, at work, we submit to our leaders even when we think we're better than them sometimes. But in church, we kind of feel like, oh, no, I don't need to. And it gets them all public. But it's like, no, the church is, it's the bride of Christ. So King of Kings, one and only son, bride of Christ. It's really, really important. It's like when we think that our job, however big the company is, however prestigious is, it's got nothing compared to the church. Church, eternal organization. All our work environments, finite, (laughs) you know, they, they they will not pass on into heaven in that respect. It's so, the church is so precious to God. It's so precious. And so how we treat it, whether it's submitting to a leader, serving on a team, when we're having to serve, do things that are beneath us, we sometimes think. Inviting someone who you think who has it all together. It takes courage. It, it, it takes you out of your comfort zone because you're thinking, well, I don't know what they're going to ask me. I don't know what they're going to come back to me. Like, I just don't know all the answers. Exactly. Be bold. Nehemiah didn't exactly know how it was going to work out. We have the beauty of hindsight to see how it all unfolded and it went well. But for us, we need to be bold and courageous, knowing that God will, he will take us out of our comfort zones to produce the vision that he's got in his eye and in our eye. A vision to build God's kingdom will experience opposition. Opposition is proof that we're doing something right in God's kingdom. Jesus said, you know, you will have trouble. You know, and, and blessed is those who are persecuted because of my name. So things are going to come against us, which it, it plays with your mind because you think, if this is so good, and like, for instance, God must be so for Nehemiah building or rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, that you think, surely God will just protect him from just it happening, and there'll be no opposition because that would be so, you know, he just wants to see the reality happen. But God's, he, he, he's so much more intentional in the sense that he wants to do more He wants to create in Nehemiah and the people something that's more robust, something that on the inside is like, I've got capacity for things to come against. I've got capacity when people oppose what I'm moving forward with, because there will be opposition. And more so as as the society and cultures going in a certain direction, when we start talking about how to raise kids, it's gonna be opposed in the way that God's word would highlight. When it talks about relationships and how we outlive those relationships, it'll be opposed. When it talks about how we, how, how we, we, we look after others, we, we kind of put other people first, it will be opposed. And so when you invite people to church, know that it's going to have some opposition. But go into it knowing it. Don't be fearful. It's like, right, I'm ready. And let's be bold with it. You know, the devil is totally against you. 100%. It's not like he's a little bit. It's like if you've got God first in your life and you're moving forward in building church or planting churches, he will be totally dead set against you. I mean, if, if we're a believer, but we're not necessarily doing anything, i.e. we lack a vision or we lack any sort of desire to move forward, he's probably quite happy for us to just go around in circles. Why, why not? You know, that would be strategy. I don't need to waste my time with them. They're not doing anything. But for someone and the, for the people that are going out, inviting their friends, bringing people, taking the abuse that might come back on them, there's going to be opposition. It goes on to say, Nehemiah inspects Jerusalem's walls. I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. 
A vision requires us to work strategically or have a plan. You know, he had gone out. He had thought about stuff. It says, my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. This is the vision written in the Bible. My God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem, to rebuild the walls. He now was starting to think, well, how do I do it? How do we make this happen? And we have the same question posed to each and every one of us all the time. How am I going to do what's in my heart? How am I going to grow the church? How am I going to grow my dinner pie? How am I going to get beside someone and and help explain what this church is all about? Because it's not like every other church that we come across. You know, you have strategies. You know, we all have strategies. We have coping strategies. When you have kids for the first time, mothers have coping strategies on how to try and claw back some sleep. You know, at times I'll get up at this time, you get up at that time. You know, when we have uh, food and we're we're trying to like make sure we've got enough food that lasts the week, we'll have a plan in place to make sure we don't, you know, go through it all in one meal, but we'll, and and try and cut back on, on spending out too much so we can keep healthy. We've got plans. These are not things that are necessarily new, but they're things that are so essential when we're moving forward, when you see a challenge or an obstacle of like how, how to grow the church, how to plant the church, my question is, so what's the solutions? We've been gifted with the ability to solve problems. Every problem you face, we have the, the, the gift to solve it. When I look at the education system, I think, ah, oh, it pains me because it's, it's painfully bad at times when I look at it. And I, I, want to, I want to stab at it. I want to try and put a solution, a better way, something out there. And it's massive. But you know what's even bigger? The whole of society, the whole of this nation that do not know about Jesus. They do not know about the good news of, of God. Because it's pointless, not pointless, but I can put a bit of energy here to try and affect a system. But actually the best in my mind, my, my, my calling, I believe, is to impact into the church where I can make the most impact. Because if I can affect other people to have a transformed heart, a transformed mind, influential people, they can there go on influence the other parts of these systems that are broken. Let me wrap this up. Just as we close things up uh, this morning uh, about the vision, because we have a vision as global. And I said at the start, you know, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm indebted to the church because it's played such a fundamental shift in my life. I look and I think I'm so grateful. I still experience opposition. I still have to keep solving problems. I've still got to plan and strategize for the future. I've still got to keep turning myself out from being selfish to being unselfish. It's not easy. It's not like uh, it's all like nailed now. It's a continual journey of, of pushing and shifting my ways into God's ways. And but I want to share a little bit about this vision because it is, for me, it's awesome. And I, and I want everyone to receive it and then whether they choose to reject it is up to them but you want to make sure they receive the right thing i think dave and shelley have said a few times in the past where people have come up to shelley and said i don't believe in that i don't believe what you believe and shelley just comes right back and says you don't know what i believe you don't know you don't know the god that you're rejecting you don't know the truth that can set you free you don't know the power of the holy spirit working inside of you like you're clueless but there's something inside of people which is pride it's that that's basically the root of it all that says i don't need it i'm good i'm well off i'm I'm fine i don't need this thing called jesus but it's not true you know i wonder for ourselves you know we forget the why i do because we get beaten up in life we take blows mornings things that go wrong and before you know you think what what am i doing what am i fighting for why am i living and maybe in church as well, you might be coming here regularly and it's a great habit you've put into place, but the, the passion
passion for coming to church might be waning. Like, why do you come to Global? Ask yourself that, that question. Not to kind of disqualify you to say, like, I need to remember the why. What was it that caught you, that gripped you, that you, you came back again and again? And we forget those original things. Like, I forget that I need to thank the church for my wife, Anna. And there's a part of it where, you know, I've, I've grown and developed, but when it comes to I never would have met Anna if I hadn't come to Global Church. I never would have started a business. I wouldn't have the finance. I wouldn't have the home. I wouldn't have anything in the way that I have it now if it wasn't for God's church. So I just want to do something that I've never done before. and um, I want us to, to just close our eyes for a moment. I want to just try and paint a picture of, of the church and paint a picture for yourself to hopefully resurrect, to, to put some more wood on the fire for the vision of planting church. So I want, you know, just picture yourself now with your eyes closed, fulfilled, satisfied, secure, significant in who you are. Why? You are part of a movement that spans the globe. It's a worldwide international movement. It's not a club. It's not just a small gathering. It's an army. An army of people passionately set with laser-like focus on the journey and the mission they've embarked on. Like an army, they've developed strong bonds of brotherhood or sisterhood where people can rely on one another. There's a strength relationally. There's bonds that can't be broken just by small grievances. Where families are units. They're strong. They're capable. You're confident, yet also flexible and agile. Able to deal with the pressures and the strains that the world throws at us. Moving for a cause that's so much bigger than just one soul. We're a movement of people who are determined. We're determined to stay true to the vision. To see a vision so much larger than ourselves become a reality. Not a version, but the vision in all its glory. Hundreds of thousands of believers, hundreds of thousands of disciples, planting churches, reaching cities all over the world. Why? Because we passionately believe this movement, this group of people, and the message that we carry is significant. It's as significant like the way that if we had a drug for the cure for cancer, we'd want to ensure that as many are saved through the life-preserving power of the medicine. It's a message so powerful, life-transforming, that is so relevant to everyone and absolutely critical to not just the survival, but also the success of others who have yet to experience the power and freedom that we carry and that we can freely share with those around us. It's success in every facet of our life. Survival from the most painful future that people are on the most part totally unaware and ignorant of. We're a group of people committed to serving others before ourselves, believing in others, trusting in others, building with others, building straight and strong with one another, building something that will outlast our own individual legacy or family. For the combined movement of all these parts is greater than the sum of each individual person. It really is a movement. A movement that has unlimited finances and resources available to itself. It's unlimited. As soon as the vision grows sufficiently, those resources are released supernaturally from heaven. A movement where power is released everywhere we go. There's no fear, just confidence that nothing can undermine us or defeat us. We stand strong in our beliefs that nothing will ever be able to ultimately defeat us and our king. Because at the top of this movement, it's not a philosophy, 
It's not a theory, not just a cause, but a king. A king who is mighty and willing to save. From the least to the greatest, we serve and follow a powerful king. And the future global is one where we are not only following great leadership from humans, but also the supernatural calling that the creator of the universe has placed upon us. We're spreading over the world like a rash, over our communities. Each and every one of our friendships is laced with this message of grace, bringing healing and hope to every situation and soul. The gospel is the cure to every disease and infection present in the hearts of humanity. And you, you play a significant part in this. There is a need for each and every unique gift and talent that we all bring to the table. Like different parts of the body, when they work together, it's magnificent. Like a world-class athlete, what they can do with their body amazes the world. Or like a puzzle with all the pieces when nothing is missing and each unique piece of the puzzle is brought together, they produce a work of art that as individual pieces could never be imagined. This is global. We are global church. You can open your eyes. If we're not careful, we'll settle for a vision for ourselves. And that's what many people do just Christians but in life but life was never meant to be lived for one from the team here at Global Church thank you for listening to this podcast please check out our other messages available on the website